Good morning. Good morning. I'd like for us to open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 verses, but they're jam-packed. They really are. Paul is uh, concluding a section that began in chapter 4, verse 1. And what he's doing from at this point, what he's been doing since chapter 4, verse 1, is he's applying the gospel to our lives. Let me say that again. He's applying the gospel to the Christian life. And so in verse 1 of chapter 4, we read, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, in other words, based on what I wrote in chapters 1, 2, and 3, based upon how blessed you are as followers of Jesus Christ, because of all that God has done for you, and all those eternal, infinite blessings that you have in him, walk word in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And he continues that theme of a walk or the Christian life, the Christian conduct, throughout chapter 4 and into chapter 5. For example, verse 17. I affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk. In other words, back it up in chapter 4, he says, here's the gospel, 1, 2, and 3, and here, here's how it applies to our lives, in particular, the body of Christ. So to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel is to walk unified with other believers. And then you get to verse 17. I want you to walk differently than the world around you. And then you get to chapter 5, verse 1. He says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Walk the way God loves, with his love. Not the worldly counterfeit love, but with his, we talked about last couple of weeks. And now we get to, and we get to verse 8. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. And he applies the gospel to the area of sexual morality. Okay? In that section. And now we get to verse 15. And he says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. The Christian walk is a wise walk. And I want to talk about that this morning in verses 15 through 21. So let's stand together. And that will be our scripture reading this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. As Paul begins to sum up uh, the gospel application to our lives. Verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. Your Bibles might say, redeem the time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And, verse 21, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a powerful passage. The powerful six or seven verses, and Lord God, it's just, it's just packed with practical Christian living, but it's packed with your will and how you want us to live as followers of Christ, as, as your children, as your sons and daughters, and your son. So Father, I pray that you would give me the grace and the understanding uh, to articulate your truths to your people for your glory. I ask these saints in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Michael. Kids over there safe. This is our first Sunday. Not well, most of y'all know that, but by the way, since I'm talking, I hope I don't embarrass you, Samuel. 
I hope I don't embarrass you by singing it. This is, are you a friend of Doug? Now that might embarrass you. <laughs> Doug's only paying attention to me back there. He, he knows when you shut me out. Anyway, this uh, gentleman's a friend of Doug. His name is Samuel. And I hope y'all greeted him earlier. And if not, you will before uh, we leave this morning. So great to have you with us, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So, all right, verses 15 through 21. I entitled a wise walk. A wise walk in a corrupt world. A wise walk in a corrupt world. And I just explained how this has been building, or, or Paul has been applying the gospel to different aspects of our lives, from a moral aspect to, to imitating God's love, to, to putting off and putting on, being different than the world, a unified walk, and now he says, verse 15, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. I believe in verses 15 through 21, Paul is really summing up this section before he gets into a specific relationship of husband and wives and Christ and his church. So after this bunch of principles or ways to apply the gospel to our lives, he's summing this up before he gets into verse 22, talking about the marriage and talking about Christ and his church, which we will begin to look at next week. Notice what it says in verse 15 about the walk, conduct yourselves, not as unwise, but as wise men, for the sentence does not stop, it goes to verse 16. Listen to this, making the most of your time. A wise follower of Christ, a Christian who is wise, they make most of the time that God gives them. Are you there? They make most of that time as followers of Christ to honor their Savior. But notice why, because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. Now, now let's think about that for a minute. We have been off and on as we've gone through Ephesians, particularly chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. It says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, okay? According to the course of this world, we learned that the world is going a certain course, and the end of that course is destruction. God in Christ has put us on a new course, right? And that new course leads to eternal life. That new course is called being a follower of Christ. And that's what Paul has been describing since chapter 4, verse 1. But he goes on earlier in chapter 2 and describes this world. According to the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. We used without Christ, before Christ, we just walked in disobedience. I don't know about you, before I came to Christ, I, I really didn't care about honoring Christ. I might have known of him, I knew about him, but I did not know him. Okay? And so, I was like this. You were like this. That's why he says, and you were dead, Christians. You, you were once like that. You were once on that course. <laughs> in verse 3, among them also, we too formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. He brings this up again, this world, in chapter 4, verses 17 and 18 and 19. He says this, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk. In other words, be different. And we understand that the word Gentiles there was in reference to the unbeliever, a lost person. Okay? Don't walk as a lost person anymore. Don't walk as those who don't know Christ, who are not one of my children. And he says, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because the hardness of their heart. What do you think Paul's getting at here? <laughs> Nothing but this. When you're in Christ, there's a difference in your life. And he's spelling that out for us. 
The difference isn't you become perfect. The difference is you're going a different direction now. It's not perfection, it's direction, right? Are you with me there? Okay? And that's why it says, verse 18, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. We're no longer ignorant. Our hearts are not hardened. They're, they've been softened. Actually, they've been changed. We've been born again. We are new creatures in Christ with a new disposition, with new desires to actually want to fall in love and follow Christ. Okay? And want to follow his will. So you see Paul does that again and again. Actually, later on, we get to chapter 6. We're not even there yet. He's going to talk about spiritual warfare. Okay? Which I really like because when we talk about walking in the Lord, we talk about walking in a manner worthy of the gospel, talk about walking no longer as the Gentiles, talk about walking in God's love, about walking as children of light, and now this morning, walking not as unwise, but as wise men, it doesn't happen without or outside the context of spiritual warfare. You're going to have opposition every step of the way. It doesn't just come from without, it comes from within. Your old nature, the flesh. And I think, really, that's why Paul ends Ephesians with, with this warfare. Okay? But we're not there yet. I just wanted to show you, we talk about we live in the days that are evil, because the days are evil, then Paul spelled that out for us throughout the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, chapter 4, and he will in chapter 6. So he describes what this evilness is. It's a confusing culture where the lines between good and evil are distorted, and the difference between truth and error are twisted. And that context is wise for us. It's wise for us to make most of our time. Now I got the question, well, how do we do that? Isn't that the, that's the one million dollar question, right? Well, oh, sounds great. Sounds good. Okay, how do I do it, Pastor? How do I do it? Well, that's what Paul unfolds before us in verses 17 through 21. And I want us to look at them. Look at verse 17. So then, okay, so then do not be foolish. Well, a wise person is not going to be foolish. Notice the contrast there. A foolish person says in their heart, what? There is no God. A wise person says, oh, there is a God. And he said to his son. So, so, so that would be us. But notice, so that do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I want to park right there. We're talking about how then. How do we do it? How do we make most of every day? How do we make most of our lives for Christ? How do we make most of the time or redeem the time that we have on earth for Jesus Christ. Number one, you understand the will of God. There's going to be four things. But number one, understanding the will of God. Understanding the will of God is the first one. Now, what is it? Well, Paul's been spelling it out for us. Chapter 4, verse 1, right? We've been reading, we've been learning, God, what is your heart's desire for your children? What do you want of me? Well, walk in a manner worthy of the kind with which you've been called. Chapter 4, verse 1. Here's another part. Here's what God also, as the Father wants of his children. I want you to put off the old and put on the new. I want you to put, and that's a lifestyle, beloved. That, that's, you never stop doing that. Never, ever stop doing that. It's a lifelong process. Okay? Well, God, what else do you want us to do? Chapter 5, verse 1. I want you to walk in love, he tells us. I want you to walk in love. Just as Christ, well, how do I know what that looks like? Just as Christ also loved you. Selfless. Sacrificial love. We learned about that last couple of weeks. Well, what else is there? Verse 8. Walk as children of light. 
You're walking without understanding. You're walking with a new morality. Okay? Verse 9, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. What does God want of his children? He wants them to try learning what is pleasing to him. What's pleasing to him? His will. Right? Which Paul has been spelling out for us in since chapter 4, verse 1. Here's another one we're learning this morning. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Walk as a wise person, redeeming time. God wants us to utilize the time that he gives us for his glory to magnify Christ. Okay? But I also want to share with you some other principles about understanding God's will. How do, what do you think about when you when you think about God's will? What do you think about primarily? Can I help you? Okay, I'll help you. Huh? His glory. His glory. Okay, but what is God's will? It's more specific than that. Not broad, think independently. Think, think more specifically, not independently. Specifically. How about this? God, who do you want me to marry? What kind of house do you want me to have? God, this job or that job is typically what we think about when we think about God's will. Right? Yeah, we're normal. We do. Okay? Say yes. Even if you don't agree, just say yes. Okay. But I know you do because that's where my mind likes to go, right? You know, what, what, what kind of car? What is this? What is that? And so I want to share with you some basic things in school. Basic. What I did is I went through the New Testament and I looked at where specifically God's will is mentioned. I want to share with you four or five of those, okay? The first one is salvation. God's will is for us to be saved. Okay? God's will. Write that down. We're talking about understanding God's will. And I'm going to end with something I think is going to bless your socks off. That's a southern term, by the way. That'll really bless you at the end, okay? So, first is your salvation. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. That's where he begins, right? Okay? Look at this. Chapter 1, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us to adoption, verse 5, as sons through Jesus Christ himself, according to what? The kind intention of his will. Boom. Okay? So number one, God desired, God willed will for you was to be saved. Here's another one. This comes out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 3 through 7, if you'd like to turn there. Just a couple letters beyond Ephesians where we're at. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 3 through 7. Let me read this. Verse 3, here it is. For this is the will of God. Point blank. Your what? Sanctification. Number one, God wills for your salvation. Number two, as you can say, number two, he wills for you to be set apart for his glory. Sanctification. Okay? Really basic. So when people talk about the will of God, they kind of clam up, they kind of jerk, but oh no, what is God's will? They think they're always walking on eggshells. I want to free you up from that this morning. I really want to free you up from that this morning. When it comes to God's will, it's really more simple than we think it is. Okay? But when we read God's word, when God wrote this, he said, here's my will for you, and nowhere in here does it say, I want you to marry this person or that person, I want you to get this job or that job, I want you to do this or that. Those are secondary. I'm, going to put, I'm putting that off to the side, and we're looking at God's primary will for his children this morning. So the second one is your sanctification. And he explains what that is more specifically here in verse 3. That is that you abstain from what? Sexual immorality. Wow. 
So what does our Father want of us? Sexual morality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel, and there is his sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. There you go. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Notice the parallelism there. Impurity, not impurity, but sanctification. Not impurity, but purity. So when you think about being set apart for God, you must also think about being pure. Okay? So that is God's will for you as well. First is your salvation. Second of all, to set you apart. Now let me just read uh, real quick. I don't even have this in my notes, but it came up in my mind. I love this. Uh, just listen to this for a moment. First John chapter 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon you. He's lavish. Just, just poured and poured and poured. Keeps pouring his love on us. That we should be called the children of God. And such we are, present tense. Not you will be, you are now. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we'll see him just as he is. Now, verse 3. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him does what? Purifies himself just as he is what? Pure. You see that theme? So, God's will is for our salvation. God's will is also for our sanctification. And we learn that specifically. This is God's will for you, your sanctification. But that is also in the context in reference to being pure, morally pure. God's will for his children. There's a third one. This also comes out of 1 Thessalonians. This comes out of chapter 5, verse 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Listen to this. Point blank again. And every give and everything give thanks. Why? For this is God's what? Will for you. There it is. All you have to do is you go through the New Testament and you and you look for phrases and verses that say this is specifically God's will for you. Your salvation, your sanctification. Number three, God wants you to what? Always give thanks. In everything, give thanks. Not in some things, but everything. Let me tell you this. You know what that tells me? You know what Paul's saying here to the church of Thessalonica? He's saying, that's exercising trust. Unthankfulness is not trusting that God's in control. Unthankfulness, no matter what it is. Right? If you're not thankful, then you're, you've got God out of the picture. God is sovereign. God's in control. Even if it's a disastrous thing, even if your power goes out in the morning, and it's a small little thing, really it is, but, but, but God's still in control. God still wanted me this morning, even though I blew it for a moment on the phone with my mother, God still wanted my what? Sanctification. You don't need to know. You don't have to do it, just don't ask her. Even when negative things happen, bad things happen, God's will for us does not change. You know, and, and I've got to keep that priority. What do we tend to do as believers? We tend to what? Focus on the problem, focus on the issue, focus on the power being out instead of saying, wait a minute, God, what's my priority? What's your priority? Your will for me is sanctification even at that moment. You're in control of the power. It's going to come on sometime today. But meanwhile, I want to walk in a way that honors you, even though this is happening. 
to make them. And still give thanks. Be thankful you got a home. Be thankful you had a power yesterday. Be thankful you got Duke out there working on it to get it fixed. I mean, just be thankful, right? And actually, this morning, you know, I prayed for the guys out there. The guy started to change my heart. I was going to pray the Lord. Anyway. But I was like, God, I prayed for those guys. So I prayed for them out there. I know where they were at. When we pulled out, we saw a crew down there, down the road, working, and they're working at 10 degree temperature. That ain't easy. And what they're working with is dangerous stuff. Right, Tim? Yeah. yeah. So, Charlie. Here's number four. Number four. How about this? This comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 through 15. God's will for us is to be submissive. Uh oh. <laughs> First of all, salvation. Second of all, sanctification. Thirdly, God's will is for us to always be thankful of all things. And number four, submission. God, God's will for his children is that they have a submissive spirit. This comes from chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Listen to this. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors, as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Verse 15. Here you go. For such is the what? Will of God. That by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. I really believe that when the world or when our community looks at a church and they see submissiveness going on to one another, that makes them question why are they doing that? Because that is not that's not how we operate. It's not how the world operates. That's not how our culture operates. That's got to attract them in one way, shape, or form. And I think that is a key component to evangelism. I'm being honest with you. Whether even the church has an authority ordained by God, elders, right? That doesn't mean they run over you, Peter. Make sure that we understand that because in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says to elders, don't lord it over them. So it's not like this. Now the world leadership, you know, authorities in the world will like to lord it over us, but in the church, leadership is different in the church than it is in the world. And it is in the world. So we see submissiveness part of God's will. And then 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, listen to this. Number 5, it's God's will that we suffer. Oh, wait a minute. But Let's read this. Verse 19. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God, there it is, shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. In other words, it's suffering for doing what is right, not suffering for what I did wrong. Okay? We all suffer for doing things wrong. He's talking about God's will for us is to suffer for doing what is right. Standing up for Christ. Living for Christ, okay, will oftentimes result into what? Suffering. That too is God's will. So we go back to Ephesians chapter 5 and we read verse 17. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Number one, let's summarize this point up. Number one, we read about it in chapters 4 and 5. God's will for us is to walk worthy. God's will for us is to what? Be different than the world around us. That means we've got to put off into the old ways and replace them with the new that we read about in Scripture. Number three, we're supposed to imitate God's love, right? That we see that's demonstrated in Christ on his cross. Then we're supposed to walk as children of light, right? 
We're supposed to walk as children of light. It means different. That means having that moral walk and supposed to walk wisely. And we also just, I went through a little bit, we're supposed to be thankful for all things, all the time. God's will is our sanctification. It means our purification. God's will is for us to be submissive to the ordained authorities that God has placed over our lives. Okay? And then, oftentimes, it's God's will that we suffer from doing what is right. In other words, when you submit to authorities ordained by God, sometimes you'll suffer for that. But this is pleasing to our Father. And the ultimate illustration example of this is Christ himself, who Peter points out in chapter 2 of this first letter. So that's understanding the will of God. We'd be wise to understand these principles that I just summarized this morning. But he goes on in verse 18. He says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Two things here. Number one, don't get drunk. It's a sin. I don't think I have to explain that to us. The portions of scriptures that, that talk about that, that drunkenness is evil, that drunkenness is sin. Okay? But he uses that as an analogy for, for a truth here that fits the context. And he's talking about being filled with the Spirit. Dissipation means it's wasteful. Don't, don't get drunk with wine, for that is wasteful. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time as God has given you. It's a waste of your body. It's a waste of your mind. Besides, your body is a temple of who? The Holy Spirit. So, so rather what? The last phrase of verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. This is not the filling of being filled for a specific task or a purpose at a particular point in time. This is an ongoing. The Greek here is present. Ongoing. Continuous tense. Okay? Be saturated with Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. The metaphor of filling is, again, is not a one point in time, but an ongoing, continuous process. An increased influence. You know how alcohol influences you to do foolish things? Well, we're supposed to be saturated with the Word of God so that we do wise things that are pleasing to the Lord. And a wise child of God knows that. They want to live in a way that is pleasing to Him. To be filled with the Spirit is to allow the Spirit to have an ever-increasing, ongoing influence in my life for Christ. Okay? It, it, yes, I'm allowing. We're talking about sanctification, okay? It, it, it's two-way here, okay? I'm involved in You're involved in that. And our responsibility as children is to allow the Spirit to have that, that ever-increasing influence in my life, in our lives for Christ. How do we do that? Go to Colossians, okay? Because he uses the same phraseology in Colossians. Go two letters beyond Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, chapter 3, verse 16. Here's how you do it. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That's how you do it. You want to be filled with the Spirit? Fill yourself with the Spirit's word. Who wrote this? Peter says, the Spirit of God moved men, right, to write this, 2 Peter chapter 1. So if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, he already dwells you. He dwells the Christian. Now we want his ever-increasing influence in our lives. What is your responsibility for that to happen? Is to get into his word. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom. You see the same terminology in Colossians 3.16 that we have back in Ephesians. So you know this kind of parallel passage, it goes together. 
with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There's that thanksgiving again. So, so how do I get filled? Get into His Word. Quiet time, Sundays, meeting with guys or gals, you know, Bible studies, just be saturated with the Word of God. What I like to do, and what I've asked people before, is evaluate how you spent your last couple of weeks. How much time in front of the TV? How much time in front of this and that? Versus how much in the Word? That should give you an idea of where you're at. Because if, if you're not at the Word, if you've got more, your mind's more in the world than in the Word, then you're really not being filled with the Spirit. Right? It's really practical. And it also has to do with, go back to Ephesians chapter 5, it's so practical. It has to do with verse 16, making most of your time. Right? It, Paul could be more practical here. You want to make most of your time? Well, that means filled with the Spirit, and that means getting into Christ's Word. So evaluate how you're spending your time every day during the week. And that will give you an indication. And besides, it is desire of every child of God to be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because Jesus teaches us in John chapter 16, he said, the Spirit will glorify me. The reason why I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit is because the more I'm under his influence and his control, so to speak, okay, the more Christ will be exalted. That is the end game. That's the result. That's what it produces. And that should be the greatest desire of our heart. That is the reason why I want to be filled with the Spirit. Because I want Christ exalted. And Jesus says, I will give you a comforter. And his goal will be to glorify me. A lot of people say, I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm filled with the Spirit. I ask, are you filled with his word, number one? And number two, is the result in Christ being exalted. If you're filled with the Spirit, you're not going to be announcing that you're filled with the Spirit. You're going to be talking about how great Jesus is. You don't have to announce it. What's going to come out is you're going to be ascribing to Christ His work. You're going to be talking to others about how wonderful and awesome He is. Not that I'm filled. I'm filled is more of a self-centered, right? It becomes ego. It becomes, look at me. I said, look at Him. I'm getting ready to teach a little bit on John chapter 3 and, I, and after uh, Jesus in chapter 3 talks about you must be born again it goes into the next scene John goes into a different scene talking about John the Baptist and in that scene he recorded John the Baptist saying I must decrease Christ must increase that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit you want to decrease because you want Christ to increase okay so, number three. Number three. He says, be thankful for everything. See, see, something's Paul's just summing up everything. In chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. Excuse me, verse 20. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. We just learned this is the will of God in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. This is that you be thankful in all things. But notice what he says. Always give thanks for all things, good or bad. Always have the attitude of thankfulness. Always. There's not a time not to be thankful, is there? Even if you're at a terrible time in your life, God says, there's a reason to be thankful. You're mine. You're mine. You're mine, God says. You're my child. 
You could not be any more loved than you are right now. God, I know things are bad. God sees everything. He knows everything. But let's be reminded of this. God is more interested in building our character than making us comfortable. That's why James says, count all joy when you fall into various trials or temptations. Because those things are used by God to produce perseverance and patience in our lives. You see, God's number one desire for you and for me, for his church, is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And God uses circumstances in our lives, good and bad, for that very purpose, for that very goal. Right? So be thankful for everything. And, and being thankful again is an attitude of trust. It is an act of faith. It really shows that we believe, doesn't it? To not be thankful, it doesn't show that we believe, that we trust God in this situation. See, we let, get your hands off the circumstances. Let go, let go. And grab onto God's will, which is focus on his care, focus on being conformed. I tell you what, write down, and I got this in my notes, write down Psalm 37, verse 4. This really sums up this aspect here, this part of God's will. Psalm 37, 4. And I'll, I'll, I'll just read verses 1 through 4. Verse 1, do not fret. Uh-oh, that's wonderful. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious towards wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Instead of this, verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Now here's verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How do you delight yourself in the Lord? By delight, by understanding and delighting in his will for you. When you are focused on God's will, you know that God will take care of everything else, even your circumstances. And notice what it says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, when you focus on God's will, the desire of your heart is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And he'll answer that prayer. But you do that because that's your focus, that's your priority, because it's God's. You know that's God's will for you. Psalm 37.4, I've spent a lot of time there throughout my Christian walk. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. Number four, be submissive, which we will talk about in the next couple of weeks, because the rest of the chapter deals with that, and uh, even in the chapter six. So let me just summarize that. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The word subject means under. To throw or place oneself under. It's a voluntary act. Okay? It's not me going to you, Ron, and say, you gotta submit to me, or if you don't, you're a sinner, you're in trouble, because God put me over your life. That's just so sinful, so it's pathetic, isn't it, Ron? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. It's me trusting, learning and trusting Ron to the point where I will place myself under his love and under his leadership. He's not perfect. But I know he loves Jesus. I know he has my interest in mind. And I don't mind submitting to that. Even though Rob's not perfect. That's think submission. So we need the husband and wives little coming up, coming up, ladies. Why submit to your husbands? That's the idea that that's the that's the teaching there. I will I will submit to somebody if I know they love me. Right? So but here it says be subject to one another 
and the fear of Christ. And I take verse 21 as a general statement within the church. Okay? It's an attitude we should have one towards another. And then in verse 22, he's going to get specific and apply it, not only in marriage, but the church's response to Christ himself, the head of the church. And that's going to be beautiful. We're probably going to spend a couple of weeks talking about marriage and talking about Christ and the church, but primarily the marriage. And we're going to want to spend some time there with the marriage husbands and wives. So, that's Paul's summary there. It's, a, it's packed, isn't it? It's really packed. I'm sorry. There's like three or four sermons all wrapped up into one. But that is it this morning. That's where he has us. And what I love is that Paul's saying, here's the gospel, chapter one, chapter two. Now, here's how it applies in our lives to the church, to your lives individually, to your lives corporately. Here's how the gospel, God, your Father, wants to play out in the lives of these children. Be submissive to one another. Always be thankful. There's always a reason to be thankful. Walk wisely. Understand what God's will for you. And it's not that complex. There's four or five basic principles to God's will. And then guess what? After that, go marry who you want to marry. Go to school where you want to go to school. Just do it. You see what I'm saying there? If you're really focused on those things, if you're if you're walking in sanctification, and you're trying, striving to apply those principles, and, and you know you're a child of God, and, and you have a submissive spirit, and you're exercising submission to authorities that God has placed in your life, and, and, and you're wanting to do things right, and you're walking with the Lord, God says, just go ahead and marry who you want to marry. Because at that point, you will make the right decision. At that point, you'll be looking for the right person. You'll be looking for the right job in the right school. Because at that point, you're focused on what is pleasing to the Lord. See, a lot of people want to skip all those basic principles and go right to who you want me to marry. That, that's not how it works. I'm just picking on there. I'm just talking about you know, general decisions we make in life. So, praise God. God says, He's following me as my children. Be walking in my will for you, and then go make those decisions. Do, do the desire of your heart at that point. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, thank you for God, you're loving us incredibly. You know, the height, the width, the depth of your love, Lord God, we, we are continually discovering it. Continually, it's ongoing. We, we, it is so deep. It is so vast. It is so powerful. And God, I just want to say thank you that as, as your children, as a family of believers, we continue to discover the greatness of your love and we can do it together and that we can exercise it in each other's lives. And that is an honor and a privilege. Just one way that we can glorify you and magnify your name before each other and before the world is watching. God, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for Samuel being with us, Lord God. Uh, God, I just thank you for being who you are. We love you, but I would be amiss to say, Lord God, if I didn't say this, you loved us first. You demonstrated that love. And that's why we came to Christ. God uses this week to share the gospel with somebody, to live it before others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.